0: KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu.
1: Good morning. I'm Tebby Cruz. It's Wednesday, April 26. Why the Poway social media case matters. More on that next... But first, let's do the headlines. The San Diego City Council yesterday adopted new eviction protections for renters. The Tenant Protections Ordinance includes a requirement that landlords pay at least two months' rent to evict a tenant who hasn't done anything wrong. Dozens of landlords turned out to oppose the
0: ordinance, including Todd Strauch. I'm encouraging you to rethink this ordinance because it will put mom and pops like us out of business. And, you know, we do nothing but try to provide safe housing, clean housing, affordable housing.
1: Tenants' rights groups have argued the proposal doesn't go far enough and has too many loopholes. The Alcohol City Council is holding a town hall meeting today to hear ideas from residents on how the city should address homelessness. They also say they're looking to hear people's experiences and frustrations with homelessness. During the meeting, residents will break into groups to discuss issues relating to homelessness. The City says feedback from the workshops will help it come up with additional programs and approaches to address the impacts of homelessness in the community. The meeting is at 6.30 this evening at the Wells Park Recreation Center in Alcajón. This is a third workshop, the final one will be held, next Thursday. Today will be one of the coolest days of the week before temps start to increase. The National Weather Service says temperatures are expected to increase in the county as the week goes on. Temps will be in the 70s today and are expected to increase tomorrow and into the weekend. They're expected to be up to 10 degrees above average. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. The U.S. Supreme Court is set to hear a case from Poway that could change how political discourse is regulated on social media. North County reporter Alexander Wynn
2: talked to a legal expert to find out what's at stake. In 2017, two Poway Unified School Board members blocked comments on their social media pages from two parents in the district. Those parents sued, saying the blocking violated their First Amendment rights. A San Diego judge ruled in their favor, and last July, the 9th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals upheld that ruling. But a month earlier, the 6th Circuit Court of Appeals came to a different conclusion on a similar case. Legal analyst Dan Eden says the case matters because if public officials can block constituents whom they find annoying, then it means they're insulating themselves from negative feedback.
0: This is a very important case uh, because Right now, we've got a Wild West with respect to social media in the sense that the rules aren't clearly
2: established. Eden says because the two cases are similar but the outcomes were different, it's up to the Supreme Court to decide the issue. Alexander Nguyen, KPPS News.
1: The San Diego City Council voted earlier this week to spend $22.5 million to widen part of the 56 freeway. Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says climate activists protested the
3: move. Last summer, city leaders pledged to cut San Diego's greenhouse gas emissions down to zero over the next 12 years. Carmel Mountain Ranch resident Rachel Graham says widening a two-mile stretch of the 56 in Carmel Valley will be a major setback.
4: I urge you not to support the widening of the 56. This project may have made sense two decades ago, but approving this project now, as our climate crisis becomes increasingly dire, is indefensible.
3: Decades of research have made clear widening freeways, even with HOV lanes, does not relieve congestion in the long run but it does put more cars on the road and increase emissions. Still, council member Joe LaCava says plans for the freeway widening date back
0: decades. Given how we built our city, not everyone can opt for walking, biking, or transit for their daily travel. Our job is to ensure there is as many climate-friendly mobility options are available to as many residents and neighborhoods as possible. The new
3: HOV lanes will be funded entirely with city dollars, but Caltrans will oversee construction. If bids for the project come in over budget, Caltrans says it will have to shrink the project down in size. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News.
1: In other transportation-related news, Oceanside residents are being asked to give input on the redevelopment of the Oceanside Transit Station. Community members are invited to speak to the developers and the transit agency at the Civic Center Community Rooms at 630 tonight.
4: The community has been extremely supportive and engaged, offering their insights and suggestions as to how we can improve the project.
1: That was Lillian Doherty with the North County Transit District. She says this is an opportunity for residents to provide input on changes they'd like to see. Plans now include adding over 500 new apartments, a luxury boutique hotel, parking structures, and retail space, as well as changing the setup of how trains and buses operate at the station. Questions have surfaced concerning Senator Dianne Feinstein's health, age, and fitness for office. But of course, she is just one among many elderly legislators in Washington, and they can't last forever. So in the next big demographic, members of the millennial generation take their places as leaders of the nation. Should we expect sweeping changes or more of the same? Writer Charlotte Alter spent several years studying that question. She's the author of the book, The Ones We've Been Waiting For. She spoke with my colleague Maureen Kavanaugh about her findings. Now, can I take it from the title of your book that you were impressed by the young people and politicians you spoke with?
5: You know, I was impressed by some of them. I was alarmed by some of them, um, you know, just just to explain where I got the title from. The title comes from this uh, speech that Barack Obama famously gave Um And really, I think the operative word in the title is not the part about waiting for, it's the part about ones. Because one of the things that I noticed when I studied this generation is that this generation has a perception of power that is much more about mass social movements, about groups working together, and less about waiting for one particular person to bring about a broad set of changes.
1: I'm wondering, did your conversations uh, maybe change your perceptions about any millennial stereotypes? Uh, This generation has been tagged with things like being difficult or being entitled or lazy. What did you come away with?
5: One of the things that uh, became really clear to me as I was reporting this book is that a lot of the way people have talked about millennials uh, basically assumes that millennials are like college students, right? And actually the oldest millennials are in their early 40s now. So we're really talking about young to early middle-aged adults um, when, when we talk about millennials. So I just found that many of the stereotypes were sort of outdated. Um, when you think of millennials as being entitled or being obsessed with avocado toast, you know, those, sounds, those sound like headlines from 2012 because they kind of are. Um, And actually, millennials are the largest living generation. There are 72 million millennials alive in in the United States today. They are the largest block of eligible voters. Um, Along with Gen Z, millennials are the most diverse generation in history. Um, They are the most socially tolerant. uh, And they've also gone through a set of unique historical experiences as a generation that has really shaped their worldview in some very distinct ways. And that's really what my book is about.
1: Right. You spoke with academics who study what shapes people's attitudes and politics. And they told Mm -hmm. you that early experiences have the biggest influence on the way someone is for the rest of their lives. So what are the experiences that have collectively shaped this generation?
5: So one of the things I found when I was reporting this book is that there is this myth that all young people are liberal and that they get more conservative as they age. And that's actually false. In fact, people's political attitudes tend to be shaped by the events that they experience in early adulthood. Um, And so for millennials, again, these are people born roughly between 1980 and 1994. For millennials, those experiences include coming of age right around Nine Eleven for for many young people that was that was their sort of seminal uh, moment of understanding America's role in the world, uh, and then the Iraq War that followed, then the financial crisis, then the election of Barack Obama uh, and the rise of Black Lives Matter, and finally the election of Donald Trump. So those are the sort of set of distinct events that um, I found really did shape how millennials as a generation see their country and see their role in the country. Um, but then there also are broader trends as well that can't necessarily be be summarized in a single event. So for example, the rise of social media is something that has profoundly affected this generation. Uh, the financial insecurity that comes from graduating into a financial crisis is something that has, deeply affected this generation. Uh, The rise of gun violence, the uh, prevalence of climate disasters are all things that this generation has internalized and is thinking a lot about. So those are the set of circumstances that uh, really define millennial political ideology.
1: That was writer Charlotte Alter speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh. Coming up, we hear about Chicano Park's legacy and its future. We'll have that story and more just after the break.
0: KPBS on Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team, Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu/olli.
1: It's been 50 years since neighbors first took paintbrushes to the highway pillars in Chicano Park. Reporter Katie Heisen looked into the park's legacy and its future.
4: Chicano Park began with an almost broken promise. Logan Heights was a mostly Chicano community, segregated from the rest of San Diego by redlining. When the state built the Five Freeway and the Coronado Bridge in the 1960s, it divided the community in half. I spoke with the park's co-founder, Josephine Talamantes, and its newly opened museum. She still gets emotional about it 60 years later.
2: We lost three-fourths of our community, basically.
4: In exchange for this displacement, the city agreed to turn the land beneath the Coronado Bridge into a park. But when bulldozers arrived on April 22nd of 1970, they were there not to build a park, but a highway patrol station. A witness walked to City College and found Talamante's and her Chicano Studies class and explained what was happening. So they all left class, marching nearly two miles back and blocked the bulldozers with their bodies.
2: We were going to create our own park because we had gotten tired of being disrespected and basically treated like we had no place in our own country. Within a matter of Couple of hours, there was a couple of hundred people here. Yeah, it spread like wildfire.
4: Talamantes and a growing crowd occupied the park for 12 days before city negotiations began. The community won, and three years later, they began painting the murals for which the park is now famous. Over the years, industry and the Navy crept into the neighborhood, taking over the beach where many spent their weekends, occupying more than half of Barrio Logan, and creating some of California's worst air pollution. What remains faces a new threat.
2: So what's left of this that has been infringed upon is now being viewed as a place to live. I mean, there was a property that just sold for $1.2 million here in the hood you know, and so we're losing the last of our residents.
4: The younger generation is inheriting this ongoing battle of gentrification.
6: My name is Raquel Tonantzin Aguayo Esquivias. I go by Rocky and I am the chair currently for the Aslan Youth Brigade. I've been here long enough to see maybe like 10 different stores or galleries shift out of what they used to be because people are being bought out, not even just on Logan Avenue, but on the entire community. While some Chicanos are
4: being displaced, the park offers cultural pride to those who remain. Esquivias, now 19, grew up swinging in the park while her mother painted the pillars.
6: This was a space created for Chicanos. And I was lucky enough to have a mom who was a down Chicana. She had the foresight to teach me about the Aztecs, the Chichimecas, the Toltecas, and all of that history because everything we get in the education system here is very uh, watered down.
4: Esquivius attended mostly white schools, where she questioned whether she belonged. She says the park gave her a space to learn about her own history and embrace her Chicana identity.
6: Coming here and seeing all of the pillars with people who were as brown as I am and darker, I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to put it into actual words, but there's just a sense of joy no matter what. Like, there's no reason to be sad in the park.
4: Last year marked the end of a cycle of the Aztec calendar. The elders held a ritual to symbolize passing park stewardship to the younger Chicanos, led by Esquivias. The park committee is eyeing new projects, like an electric bus for elderly residents, and placing a lid on the freeway, supported by local leaders, including Congressman Juan Vargas. It would connect the community again for the first time since the 1960s. Under the pressure of gentrification, Talamante says the park's message will always remain the same.
2: Aquí estamos y no nos
4: vamos. We're here, we're not leaving. Katie Heisen, KPBS News.
1: A new exhibit dedicated to one of the most celebrated cartoonists in Mexico is open at the Comic-Con Museum in Balboa Park. Reporter Melissa May has this preview of Trino's World, or El Mundo de Trino.
4: José Trinidad Camacho, better known as Trino, satirizes and celebrates the joys and absurdities of life in Mexico in his comic strips and drawings. In 2022, Comic-Con awarded Trino the Inkpot Award for his contributions to the world of comics. Carlos González Gutiérrez is the Consul General of Mexico and says Torino's work is also a way to build understanding between the two countries.
2: It shows part of our way of
1: looking at things. This is the cultural diplomacy at its best. It's soft power. It's a way to show what Mexico is through the eyes of one of its most successful cartoonists.
4: The exhibit includes drawings, watercolors, sketches, and objects from Trino's personal collection. Trino's World will be on display from April 25th to July 5th. Melissa May, KPBS News.
1: And lastly, a follow-up to a story we brought you at the end of last month. Luca Pollock, a Carlsbad 3rd grader who entered a nationwide NASA competition, won the top prize in his age group.
3: I would love to work with NASA. I really also want to learn about space.
1: In his winning entry, he proposed to send a spacecraft to Europa, one of the moons of Jupiter. There, it would land on a frozen ocean and search for life below the ice. His prize will be a visit to the NASA's Glenn Research Center in Cleveland for a VIP tour of its research facilities. Congratulations, Luca. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great Wednesday.